Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversation based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwabach, and with me is the oft-imitated but never-duplicated Chad Knight. This week, we'll be discussing cover songs. Uh, covers have been around pretty much since forever, and most artists, either in the studio or in concert, have cover- covered another artist at one time or another. Some of them can be, arguably, pretty fantastic, while others are ear-bleedingly terrible wastes of recording medium. Um, in this part one, we'll be discussing good covers, and next time in part two, we will be discussing poor covers. So, um, I, I personally find it kind of neat when a song turns out to be a cover. Um, makes me want to search for the original and see how it stacks up or how it was changed. And in the same vein, I like to see new, uh, new versions of songs that already I like to see if it's a cover or not. So, like, something that if I like the song and find out that it is a cover, I'd be like, wow, I, that's kind of neat to hear. What do you feel on the case? Well, honestly, uh, Lou, uh, when it comes to covers, historically, I am not a fan of covers. I remember, I remember us discussing that. Um, but in the research I've done for this, I found out that some of the songs I like are actually covers of somebody else. Kind so, of amazing how that works out, huh? Yeah, you know, because you, you don't know it because, you know, there might be 40 years sometimes in between the song you know versus when the original came out. So I find, um, I, I found some that uh, I really like the covers of. I have found some that, well, and we'll talk about that in part two, that the covers are just horrible. And then there's one, and I'm going to talk about this before we get into anything else. There's one song that I found where the cover, um, I couldn't decide whether the cover was better or the original was better. Well, that's kind of uncommon. Yeah. So that song, and, and I know you're going to hit me for this because the original was a Beatles song. Shocking. So um, We Can Work It Out by the Beatles was covered then by Stevie Wonder. I'm, I dig Stevie Wonder. There's very little he can do wrong, so I... Let's hear what you have to say. So anyway, in listening to this, I went into it with my bias. I am a I'm a Beatles fan. But once I sat down and I listened to the two songs side by side, um, Stevie Wonder does some things with the song that uh, the Beatles, in my opinion, kind of missed. Now, the Beatles have that feel about the song where it really makes you, uh, makes you think that, um, you know, maybe we can work it out. You know, it's that... A happy kind of jivey early Beatles feel to it. And the Stevie Wonder one takes that, adds a little Motown to it. I just find that I can't really decide which one I like better. It's it's kind of like if I heard either one come on the radio, I'm not going to go searching for the other one. Okay, yeah, I can buy that. And from um, touching on that with here too, um, I have to say that based on my research, Motown's going to show up a fair amount more. Yeah, Motown shows up a lot in my list as well, but... You know, let's, uh, should we just get started here? Absolutely. All right. So my first one, and I, and I'm guessing it's probably on your list too. It's one of the most famous is all along the watchtower, uh, by Jimi Hendrix. Right. Uh, well, Jimi did the cover actually. So the original was done by Bob Dylan. Right. In the Um, same year, if I recall. I I think it was, I think it was covered in the same year, but Jimi Hendrix 
you know, he just, it's successful and it's better because, you know, Bob Dylan has that very folksy kind of twang, twang, you know, background to what he does. And even though this was beyond his folksy time, Mm -hmm. it still has that feel to it. It's very slow. It's very drawn out. I wouldn't it's say methodical if you Yeah. Can put it I, I I wouldn't say I don't like it, but the way Jimmy did it with the guitars and everything else, that to me made it a much better and and obviously a larger hit cuz until we started doing this research, I didn't know it was a Bob Dylan song. Did you? I did actually. Oh, okay. Um, that's I'm kind of a uh, music dork that way when it comes to this kind of thing and from what I found out here too that Hendrix um, you know, Dylan actually in his later recordings of it did it in the Hendrix style as a tribute to him because he liked it so much. Okay. okay. Um, and that's pretty kind of amazing if you think about it, that both were done in 1968, so they predate both of us. Okay, yep. And it's just incredibly successful in the fact that Dylan gave it so much of a shining thumbs up that he continues to consider it written by him, but done by Hendrix is pretty incredible. Well, my question would be then, is it done in tribute because Hendrix died shortly after he did the cover? Or is it because Dylan honestly thinks it's a better song? Why can't it be both? Well, it could be. Absolutely. I mean, we could try to get in touch with Dylan, but I doubt he'll return our phone calls. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy's not returning phone calls either these days. That would be a different podcast. (laughs) All right, so what's your first one on your list? My first one, actually, and I have to say it's, it's a vanity thing. Um, the song Louie Louie was more popularly done by the Kingsmen in 1963. Um, yep. It was originally done by Richard Berry uh, in 1957. The original song, again, it's a vanity thing. The original song is a good song, and finding it, I listen to it, and it's it's got a good R&B beat to it. It um, does. It's kind of, It flows. But then with the Kingsmen, they kind of gave it the kind of a British invasion sounding rock to it. I mean, you can tell it's dated, but it just seems to flow so much better. And Louie Louie, honestly, has been covered hundreds of times, ranging from the Beach Boys all the way to Motorhead. Okay. Now, here's my one question about the song Louie Louie. What the fuck are the words? I don't have it memorized. I don't think anybody has it memorized. I don't think anybody knows the words. It's like Louie Louie, oh, whatever. We gotta go. We gotta go. And then there's verses in there. But I have no clue what the hell they are. It's something. It's some kind of Jamaican song. My understanding from my research, it was like a Jamaican um, sailor coming home to his woman or something. But nobody cares. I mean, case in point, the song was in Animal House. <laughs> Fair enough. It was a drinking song in the background. No, yeah. Or Down Periscope, if you recall the movie with Kelsey Grammer with the submarine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're the drunken sailors. And they they all sing along all offbeat, and it's just a drunken song. You could you could Eddie Vedder it and mumble all the words or whatever, and it's still gonna sound fine. Or you can Kingsman it and mumble all the words. We could go Kurt Cobain if we're gonna do that too. Well, he mumbled everything. Exactly. All right. So anyway, my next one uh, that I want to talk about is uh, the song Alleluia by uh, originally by Leonard Cohen, redone by Jeff Beckley. Are you familiar with the song? It's It was in Shrek, if that helps. That is the one. The Rufus Wainwright one in Shrek is the one I'm most familiar with. Okay. I listen to the Buckley one, too. I like the one from Shrek better. However, I am sick of it due to the fact that Leonard Cohen passed away recently. Right. Have you ever heard the Leonard Cohen version I have, of it? yes. It's more of, he kind of talks through it more than singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Jeff Buckley, um, though I was a little 
upset with the amount of intro he had before he actually started singing. The song itself, he I think, is much better. It's more melodic. It's more to the feel of the song. And maybe it's because it, it's tainted by the fact that the, the Shrek movie, mm-hmm. you know, where it's already that way. Right. I don't know. For me, that just, it, it's, it's more melodic. It's more emotional. I mean, Leonard Cohen really tries. He really gets in there and he really talks about, and you know, when he talks through it, it's, it's very heartfelt. You can tell that. Oh, yeah. But to me, the cover with the music and everything just, to me, is a better. It just enhances the emotion. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, that's, that's what I've got to say about that song. Okay, There's, you pretty much hit at everything that I was thinking on it. Okay. My next one that I've got, actually, I'm doing this for you, is a cover um, that of a Beatles song. Okay. With a little help from my friends by Joe Cocker. Oh. Um, the 68 version of the Beatles was in the six, uh, 67. Mm-hmm. I am not the world's biggest Beatles fan. I'll be the first to admit that. Yeah, we know. I've listened to the original. And we like you anyway, <laughs> Um I've listened to the original, and of course, anybody who has seen The Wonder Years has heard the cover and it's just it's very soulful the way that joe cocker did it um the beatles one almost sounds like a spoken word coffeehouse version whereas the one that joe cocker did almost was like gospel-y um soul and i just think that it enhanced the song itself it's a good song in its own right but i think the cover just enhanced the way it sounded personally okay i'm gonna i'm gonna probably shock you with this one i agree that joe cocker's version of this was better than the beatles original I know, you're shaking your head. Be still my beating heart. Actually, you're going to find I have a couple songs on my list when we get to bad covers that I like the Beatles more. But there are also ones on here where I have outranked the Beatles. Now, I like the Beatles. I'm a Beatles fan. I'm a Beatles fan more for what they've done for music than their sheer raw talent. Because if you get right down to it, the Beatles are a boy band. They're like one of the first boy bands out there. Yeah. Uh, the probably the most mainstream one, if any. Yeah, I mean they were they were cute according to the women of the time. They were able to emote uh, emotions, and you know they weren't horrible. No, they they had talent. I mean, it's, it makes me think of the monkeys actually because it was the same situation where they had the heartthrob lead singer, although unlike the Beatles, however, they had different haircuts. Yep. And dressed differently. Well, and the Beatles did eventually. Well, yeah, eventually. But in the early point, you know, they were they came out in the in the sixties, and it was very formulaic. You know, it was very much this is how you get famous. Well, it had to be. I right. Mean, it was breaking into a new territory, and then Elvis came along and just threw everything in a blender. Right. So anything early Beatles, you're gonna hear me. I I have a very open mind about somebody being better than the early Beatles. Now, once you get to Sgt. Pepper's and beyond, I'm probably gonna fight you tooth and nail. <laughs> Just because they revolutionized rock and roll music. But anyway, let's move on. And now everything I just said about that, I'm going to take and I'm going to kind of twist it here. The song is Twist and Shout, which uh, the Beatles actually did the cover of. The original was done by the Isley Brothers. The original actually was done by the Top Notes a year before, but they didn't do anything with it. Oh, really? Yes. So, well, according to my research, it was the Isley Brothers, but okay, fair enough. But the Beatles knocked this one out. The Isley Brothers, it was very uh, soulful. It was very, you know, slow and, and, and soulful. And the Beatles just took it and made it into the song that we all know. It's been redone a billion and a half times. Oh, yeah. But 
I just really like the way the Beatles did it. I and, and you know part of that is the humor when they did it for the Queen. Everybody's I'm sure heard that. You know all the all the people on the floor clap your hands and those of you up in the top seats you sure, know, sure. rattle your jewelry. So kind of thing. But um, so I don't know. And and you know whenever whenever and I'm gonna just put this out there. Whenever we talk Beatles, there is a bias. And unfortunately, you can't do something like what's a good cover based on an original without a bias. You right. can try. But it's difficult. It is. Because obviously you're going to like one or the other. Right. With that said, what do you think of the song? You know what? And I that was actually on my list as well. I think Paul and the gang really sped up the tempo just a little bit and went from a, a good R&B song to just a solid rock song. A lot of people have, you know, when they listen to the Beatles and they've heard it there. And then anybody who was a fan of the 80s movies also, um, I believe it was Ferris Bueller when he was on the parade float. Yes. I'm... Um, if you've seen the movie, which many people around our age has, they know that song mainly for Ferris Bueller's Parade Song. It's a great song. It absolutely is. The original is still a good song in its own right, but the Beatles just kind of knocked out of the park. Okay, fair enough. And what do we have next? You know what? And this is this one I chose, actually, because it was one that I did not know was a cover. Hard to handle by the Black Crows. I actually knew that was a cover. Well, I didn't. Um, Otis Redding, who apparently has done everything... Um, originally did it in 1968, and then the Black Crows did it in 1990. The original was it was a soulful song, just like Otis Redding's all of his work. I was gonna say, just like Otis Redding's everything. Yeah, and then um, the Black Crows came in, changed it from soul R&B to a hard rock song, mm-hmm. and got a ton of radio play with it. And it's just and sped up the tempo a little bit, which I will. I'm gonna put this one out there. Increasing the tempo usually makes it more successful usually yep um and this one is a perfect example of that it was just i think they did it great i would agree um now i was a crows fan back in the day i was kind of into that grungy heavy metal kind of thing during the 90s hard rock but not quite heavy metal right yeah and um so i really enjoyed that song um it wasn't until years later that i realized it was a remake uh a cover as you uh, are sort to say you know um but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the Crows did a lot of good with it. And, you know, that's coming from, I enjoy Otis Redding. You know, if you want to sit and listen to blues, you know, Otis Redding, uh, uh, you know, these guys from the from the 40s and 50s, there's, there's no better way to go. No. With that said, let's move on to the next one. The next song I have is House of the Rising Sun by The Animals. A little asterisk by this one. This song is actually sold that they don't know who originally did it. Um, the Animals is the first mainstream success with the song. Okay. So that's why I'm going with The Animals as the originals. It was covered uh, for the show Sons of Anarchy by a band called The White Buffalo. Okay. We, and it's an amazing song. If you haven't heard The White Buffalo version, check it out. It, it, it it's um, They change up some of the words because they're not set in New Orleans and sure. you know some of that stuff. But... The the Animals had a very good song, and don't get me wrong, I like the Animals version. Very 60s, almost hippie kind of music. If you want to put a class on it, referencing it, it's almost Dorsey. Yeah, very much. But the White Buffalo, they took it, they actually slowed it down a little bit. Really? And they put a growl into it. They, they put that soulful growl into it. Huh. I just really liked it. Um, well, so check that out. Yeah, if it's not one you've heard, uh, I definitely recommend that you do listen to it. So, 
I'm guessing you don't have a whole lot to say about that, but maybe something about the animals? Uh, no, I the House of the Rising Sun, actually, I really, really enjoy. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that for one of the American Horror Story TV shows, I believe the one, um, I think it was Coven, the one that was set with witches and things, I think that one actually used that as one of their, their bumpers. Oh, okay. Um, if I recall correctly, I may be wrong on this one. But was I mean, Coven held, was that in New Orleans? Uh, yes, it was, actually. Okay. So, I mean, having that there and then the black magic women and things like that, I mean, it's, it was very appropriate. They used that for it. And I think it worked really well. And okay. I'm a fan of the original, so I'm really going to have to check that new one out. Yeah, it's, I, w- I found it in my research. Um, I had never heard it before either because I never watched Son of Anarchy. Um, but, you know, what do you got? My next one is another Otis Redding one, actually. This one also I did not know was a cover. Respect by Aretha Franklin. Really? Yeah, I know, right? Um Otis Redding did it in 65 because that man did everything. Right. And then Aretha Franklin did it in 67, which um, few people even know that it was a cover. Obviously, both of us included. The Redding version is good. Aretha Franklin owns that song. I mean... Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Queen of Soul belts it like she wrote it, and it's hers. There's there's really no discussion you can even have on that one. Well, exactly. She, she owns that song. She owns that song to the point that... They uh, they cast her, and she sang it in the Blues Brothers. Oh, fantastic movie. You know, great movie. And when she, I mean, all the other songs in that movie are, you know, good. They're good. But when they do respect when they're in that diner. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she just, I mean, she owns that entire scene. I mean, John Belushi is there. Uh, uh, you know, all the guys are there. Ackroyd, the rest of the band. Yep. And she just puts them to the background there's oh, yeah. it's it's her song it's her scene and there's no denying it and i think that goes to the fact that even though it is a cover nobody knew it and she owned it like it was her own and that's and that's a definition of a successful cover absolutely that song right there i think is probably of all the songs we're going to talk about is probably the epitome of a cover i'll agree with that all right and what do you got? I've got next up, coming a little more modern, because the originals for this was the Rolling Stones. Okay. They did a song called Sympathy for the Devil. All right. Good and it song. Was, and it was covered by Guns N' Roses. Um, specifically, it was covered for the Interview with a Vampire movie. Okay, It was the, right. theme, the theme song, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. The cover is fantastic, I think, because they take that original 60s kind of... It's a really slow tempo, really grinding halting song that the stones did i enjoy it in its original form but mm-hmm. what guns and roses did they brought it to the modern age which is where that type of a movie was set right they they turn up the they turn up the guitars they turn up everything and they just make it a i'm gonna call it a rock song because it's not really heavy metal mm-hmm. they don't quite go that far i really enjoy it you know and and i think it's probably um for covers that Guns N' Roses have done, and they've done, they did an entire album of covers on the on the album called The Spaghetti Incident. For everything they've done, that to me is probably their best cover they've done. And I haven't actually listened to the Spaghetti Incident. It's been on my to-do list. I do like this cover. I honestly did not remember that from the movie because I think I've only seen the movie once or twice. Okay. And I went back and listened to that, and Axel in himself has two different voices when he sings. He's got the real high-pitched screamy, mm-hmm. and then he's got the real low, like, Mr. Brownstone type. Right. This was the low type. And his low register, while obviously not Barry White low or anything like that, I enjoy his low register better than his screaming. So okay. that is the reason in itself why I like this cover. It sounded good. I'm not sure if I agree with you saying that the Stones version was slow, because it actually... it. 
did have a bit of a tempo to it, but it wasn't fast paced. You're right. But it was it was slow in comparison to the cover. Well, yeah, absolutely. I get that. That I agree with. To me, there there are parts of the song when when Mick Jagger singing it that just grind. And what I mean by that is they're just he plays it. He's so dramatic with it that it almost gets to the point where it's like get on with it, get it out, get moving. So that's that's where I was going with that. But uh, what do you got? You know, my next one's actually going to be one that is a more modern. Um, the cover is Stone Cold Crazy by Metallica. Okay. Done in 1990. The original was done by Queen in 1974. I'm just going to put this out here that it's incredibly hard to successfully cover Queen. Yes, I, mean, I would it's, agree. It's very hard. Freddie Mercury and Brian May were virtually untouchable, but I think that Hetfield and the crew did a great job. Um, Queen's version is tight and fast. I mean, if you listen to it, it's got a really good fast beat to it, and it's methodical and it's got a perfect tempo Mm -hmm. somehow i mean granted metallica is a thrash metal band metallica speeds it up and makes it harder i believe it oh god what was it on either it was either on reloaded or garage one or the other i can't remember which album it was but it's just such a good song that they sped up and they made it their own and it's just a good perfect hard metal song i respect your opinion but i'm going to disagree with you and we'll talk about that on the other one because it's on my list but it's on the bad cover list. Oh, really? Yes. Fair enough. So um, at this point, I'm just going to say I disagree with you. I respect your opinion, but we're going to move on. Fair enough. Continue. <laughs> All right. The next one I have is The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. That was the original. Now, that was covered by Nirvana in their in their um, MTV Unplugged. Okay. I really enjoyed the Nirvana song, the, the way Nirvana did it. Now... I like David Bowie. He sometimes loses me in how spacey his music gets sometimes. And by spacey, I, I don't mean like he's high or anything like that. It's just kind of, it's very out there. It's very acidy. It goes a little bit more new wave than you expect from Bowie. Right. Um, and I was not a big fan of the original. So when I saw that Nirvana had covered it in their Unplugged series, I sat and I listened to it. And I really, really enjoyed the Nirvana version of it. Are you familiar with either of those? Either of those? I'm really not. Um, okay. I personally am not a huge fan of going unplugged because it's very. I think it's a cash grab sometimes. Um, and there's very few times when I think the unplugged version sounds better. Uh, case in point, Eagles did Hotel California unplugged. When I personally think that should not be an unplugged song. It, it was recorded, plugged in. It should stay that way. That's me being old school. However, Clapton's unplugged was fantastic, except for Layla. Unplug Layla's garbage. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, other than that, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain, actually, the vocals he did, I think were better than David Bowie's because there was so much synth and so much, you know, that that, that kind of woo-woo-woo sound that they did in that new wave, new age kind of thing, that it was easier to understand Kurt Cobain than it was to understand David Bowie doing this song. <laughs> when are you ever going to say that it was easier to understand Kurt Cobain? Right there, right then, <laughs> never again. All right, well, let's, go, let's see where we're going to go to here now. Um, you know what, I'm going to pick a little bit more of a modern one as well. Lacuna Coil, one of the ladies that we talked about, or one of the bands that we talked about on our Women of Rock, Okay. Um, covered the song Enjoy the Silence, which is a Depeche Mode song. Yes. I'll admit I'm not a first, I'm not a big fan of Depeche Mode. I never was. I thought it was kind of curry, whiny, you know, I feel sorry for myself type music. Yeah, Depeche Mode was uh it was garbage. 
Yeah, and so when I got into Lacuna Coil, that was a part of their Karma Code CD, and I listened to that song. I'm like, this song's really good. And then I looked in the liner notes and it said it was, and found out it was a cover. I'm like, oh, let's check out the original. And I was very much disappointed. I just the fact that they they added more rock to it as opposed to being like a new wave style. Again, it didn't seem whiny and like some dude sitting in a dark corner writing a love poem to his girlfriend who just broke up with him <laughs> as opposed to a rock song. I think it worked out rather well to the point where I disavow that Depeche Mode's even around. Well, you know, coming from Wisconsin, we, we have to give Depeche Mode a little cred. They're a Milwaukee band. So is Violent Femmes, and I think they sell like crap. Well, yeah, but you know. And I'm wrong. I was thinking Violent Femmes. Depeche Mode is <laughs> Depeche Mode is English. Strike that. Um, if, I, if I don't edit it out, just forget I said it. Let's each do one more cover here. Uh, I'm going to do... Um, the next one I'm going to do is actually... It's kind of a backwards cover. Because the original was done by Nine Inch Nails. And then it was covered by Johnny Cash. And, of course, I'm talking about the song Hurt. Mm-hmm. Never a huge uh, Nine Inch Nails fan, personally. No. Um, they had a few songs that were okay. Um, I was never really into industrial rock or whatever you want to call it, industrial thrash, whatever. Mm, Sure. It wasn't my thing. But Johnny Cash covered Hurt um, probably a year or two before he passed away. It was after he had lost his wife. So just the raw emotion, because that's really, um, if you heard him in any of his uh, interviews, he sang that song because he had lost his wife. That's what brought him into that song and just the raw emotion that he puts into this song he obviously he slows it way down he uh makes it his own song it almost has a country twist to it right not really because johnny cash even though he was country he was never really country he was out of the verge of country rock yes he was like the original country rock guy right it's one of those songs that if you're in that right mood maybe slightly depressed mood he can almost take you down that road with him make you feel his hurt and make you almost make you cry, you know? And I think that's what I really like about it is just the raw emotion in the recording that he did of that song. Right. And um, uh, Trent Reznor, who, when they did this, it was a great industrial rock song or industrial rock ballad. Let me put that way. Because it was a ballad. Yeah. But the man in black, Johnny Cage made it his own. Johnny, uh, Johnny Cash. Johnny Johnny Cage is is from Mortal Kombat, right? Yes, he is. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash, C names. He recorded it not too far before he actually died. Um, And a lot of people in the industry call it his swan song. He put every drop of blood, sweat, and tears into that song. Um, And you almost suffer with him. I mean, that's how well it was done. So I would agree with you on that one. I guess my last one that I'm going to do. All right, wrap it up, man. All right. um, You really got me by Van Halen. I know you're not a big Van Halen fan, but this is during the Diamond Dave days, so you may actually appreciate it. Um, The Kinks did it in 1964. Van Halen took it... um, 14 years later, as one of their singles, in fact, they recorded it as their opening single off of their self-titled album, which for a band to use a cover as their number one release song is horribly risky, but it worked, in my opinion. Uh, The Kinks did the song. It shows that they did it in the 60s because it was different type of guitar music, different type of sound. Not saying it's bad, just saying that you could tell that it's a dated song. Um, I think Eddie's guitar using the Frankenstrat just cranked it up to 11. I mean, he added more guitar, more reverb, just made it a hard rock song, which I dig it. I appreciate it. I'm a, I'm a Van Halen fan, so I'm a little bit biased on this one. Both are good songs. I just think the Van Halen one's better. Okay, and, and I would agree with you that both are good songs. I disagree that the Van Halen is better. Of course, I have a soft spot for the Kinks. I think they were an amazing band. The Kinks, the Animals, all those those bands, you know, at that time, I really liked them. 
I will agree with you. Uh, they made it into a nice rock song. It was it was a fun rock song. I didn't realize it was their their first single off of their <laughs> off of their freshman album. You're right. That is very risky, and the fact that it worked even better for them. You're right. Van Halen for me pretty much was done when they brought in Sammy Hagar. I'm not a Sammy Hagar fan. I wasn't. The Red Rocker just does nothing for me. So Van Halen for me was done when they brought Gary Sharon in for that one album. Well, okay, I agree with you there as well. But I, you know, when they when they had uh, uh, Diamond Dave, he was to me he was like the ultimate hair band frontman. Frontman, yeah, he was. And um, so yes, I really like the song, but I still have to give the edge to the Kinks on this one. And here. You have your opinion on that one. I mean, the Kinks, I'll give you that, are a very unsung British invasion band that flew under the radar because of the Beatles. Do I think that the one, as as we mentioned, I personally think the cover was better, but at the same time, too, they both have merit. Yes, so. absolutely. All right, so we're going to call this episode to a close. Um, come back and check us out for part two where we do bad covers. Um, and actually, we have enough listed here that we may come back to this at another time and do more good and bad covers. We'll talk to you in a few. 